Hello and welcome to episode 127 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the bubbies. This week we are closing out the run of movies Matthew hasn't seen with Shakespeare in Love on your It's a Mystery podcast. I'm Mandy Kay, and you can gush over fantasy romances with me on Twitter at Mandy Kay. I'm Matthew Vose. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Vose where I might well continue talking about Shakespeare in Love for a long time now. <laughs> for reasons. Intro music. Intro music. <laughs> so we talked about... Uh, can you even remember when it was that we mentioned Shakespeare enough? No. It was, it was a good couple of months ago now. Yeah. And you mentioned it, and I said that I'd never seen it. And you mentioned it, I think, to the guest and said we I'd know about seeing it. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that I'd never seen it, and you were like, oh, we have to watch that one then. Sounds vaguely familiar. I can't remember what the thing was. And I made a comment about, I don't like British films. You did. And a few people came for me. <laughs> <laughs> First, they came for me over British films, and then they could no. Um, so I, I've been thinking about it since then, and trying to come up with some sort of explanation for that fact, some sort of detail about why I may or may not enjoy British films, what it is about British films, how I would describe them, and what I do and don't like. Okay, before you do that, can you define what a British film is to you? Because I would not call Shakespeare and Love a British film. Yeah. So, so. It is kind of difficult because if we're talking British cinema, we're including Star Wars, the last couple of Mission Impossible films, um, other films that have now gone out of my head that I had prepared for this. But, but you know, there are a lot of films made and produced over here that are technically British cinema. Oh, oh, oh almost all of the great Kubrick films he made over here. At studios over here, funded over here, produced over here. Just with Americans as the main roles. So it's not that. It is probably something about the sort of non-mainstream releases. Because Hollywood releases are what you would consider the mainstream over here. Jurassic Parks of this world. Yeah? Mm -hmm. The Marvel films of this world, for instance. I'm talking films set in Britain about British people that might may or may not get a wide release but are speaking to the british experience maybe okay might be the thing okay and and, and th- there is part of this conversation i think i want to try to come up with analogies for you about films released in the us that are about the experience of living in the carolinas for instance mm-hmm. that you might go yeah but they're awful and full of tropes and stereotypes and they're horrid kind of like what we do over on southern fried pop culture Yes, but again, not mainstream. Right. So some of them you've done have been mainstream, some have not been mainstream. And and I think it was Catherine who said this a while back when we were talking about it. A really good point that in the US, you have a lot of films like that that are made and they go out on the Hallmark channel <laughs> or uh, other channels of that ilk. Right. That I now can't remember. Um, TMZ? That's not a thing, is it? No. Well, it is, but not a TV thing. But not, um, uh, yeah. But you mean things like made for TV movies. I- exactly. The sort of thing that Neil Patrick Harris did between right. Doogie Howser and, and How I Met Your Mother. Or like direct to DVD stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I'm saying Neil Patrick Harris because I do remember 
staying in a lodge in the, by the volcano in Hawaii, and the only thing I could find to watch on TV was a thing about Neil Patrick Harris being trapped in a car in like the wilds of Alaska or something, and it, based on a true story sort of thing. And he trudged out into the snow and left his wife and child in the car, and oh they my got gosh, and I he forgot disappeared. That movie and, existed. Yeah, right. Like that's why he is the name that I go to for this because it's like, oh, it's Neil Patrick Harris. He's a famous dude. Right. There was a time he was not so famous. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think there there is British cinema that might end up as something like that, but is elevated a bit because we do actually produce big films over here. Okay. And and when I say big films, I mean Star Wars, Mission Impossible, superhero films, things like that. Um, the James Bonds and the Harry Potters of this world as well obviously, but that don't necessarily get that release all around the world. Okay. And and the thing that I, th- I I think I've been able to come to is breaking them down into three categories. You get the gritty, realistic portrayals of people on this island or on this group of islands. Um, the Mike Lee films particularly speak to this. Older films like Kess. There's a whole sequence of gangster films and things about football hooligans and just hard living in the UK. There are films that are kind of happy and, and again, quite often based on real situations and real life, but are casting the same people over and over again. Famous lovies who get to ham it up doing their thing for a couple of hours. And this especially speaks to the TV adaptations. So, you know, I'm going to say Paddington 2, Dad's Army, um, the Carry On films, Love Actually, Mamma Mia. Even Brazil is in some some way uh, one of these. So can I tell you, I had to look up what lovies meant. Okay. I saw it in the oh. outline and I was like, I don't know what that word is. I've never uh, seen okay. it in my life. I'm not sure I would be able to define it. What was the definition you read? Actually, let me look it up again and I can tell you. Um, an actor or actress, especially one who is particularly effusive or affected. Yeah. Over the top, part of the establishment. You know, they're the people who turn up on the charity fundraising events doing little skits and doing things. Um, oh, TV Tropes says it's a slang word for actor originating in British theater from the tendency of stage actors to call each other love and darling. Okay. Uh, and then the third category, I would say are the good ones. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait, so you just is... said Love Actually and Mamma Mia are not good movies? Is that what you just said? Uh, that is exactly what I said. Okay. Uh, um, and Paddington 2. Paddington 2 was actually quite good, but it does absolutely fall in the camp of every single part in that in that film was a famous person already and was basically there to do their thing. Okay. <laughs> Frankly. Um And the good films, and, and this is very much it's a Venn diagram. It's not three discrete categories right, uh, right. the good ones things like lock stock and two smoking barrels hot fuzz the first two monty python movies 28 days later the and the kubrick films you know barry Lyndon, i would say is not a mainstream film but is one of the most wonderfully made films of all times never heard of it uh it's great it's wonderful so when i think of british cinema i tend to think of either those things that just show you on screen, you know, a town that is dying because the mines are being closed, everyone's losing their jobs, and the only thing that's keeping them going is the brass band they all play in. Or, you know, a small boy and his love for his kestrel, despite his hardships at school. Or it's this thing of, and hey, here's Rowan Atkinson, and hey, here's Alan Rickman, here's Bill Nye, here's Judy Dench, here's Emma Thompson. Okay, so Shakespeare <laughs> in Love fits into this mold for you. 
definitely fits into the second one and, and i would say about that first thing like they are good films i just named the, the description there is a film called brassed off which has so much heart and is an absolutely lovely film but i'm not sure i'd watch it multiple times like I, I i do go to films for a sense of escapism and i want to learn about the world and understand other cultures and experience things i want to uh, you know one of the reasons i love sci-fi is the way it does analogies of you know showing a social issue but not necessarily having to just present that social issue to you for instance mm-hmm. And there is something of just watching uh, middle-class England being middle-class England for two hours going, okay, what was the film that we, we watched? Was it Saved? Where Recently. I guess, yeah, I guess other half and I both were like, we don't see why this is funny. Isn't this what they're like? Yeah. We don't, we didn't actually see the joke of it. It's the same with some of that British cinema stuff. It's like, okay, okay. I get it. That's it, just what it's like. And yeah, Shakespeare Love definitely fits into that second category of just loveies. You know, every single person in this film. It's even got Anthony Sher in it, who's one of the great stage actors, but they got him in this. You know, oh, look, it's Martin Clunes. Oh, look, it's. Okay, other see, now that's interesting because I was prepared to argue this movie is full of, like, at least from an American perspective, not super famous people. Yeah. Because we're not familiar be- with British theater, you know? And so this was, like, this is Gwyneth Paltrow's first really big role. You know, Ben Affleck was had just come off of Goodwill Hunting. Nobody knew who he was yet. Um, Joseph Fiennes still. This was so early in his career. You know, like the big names in this are Judy Dench, who was on screen for eight minutes. You know, Jeffrey Rush playing a kooky guy. Um, so, <laughs> would you believe? Surely not. No, no. Tell me more. <laughs> so, from an American perspective, this wasn't that, and so it it just feels very different. Yeah, Imelda Staunton gets to be fussy. Simon Callow gets to be gregarious on screen all the time that he's there. You know, it is it is literally loveys coming on and doing the thing they do. Even though they only do it for like five minutes each? Yeah, but it's, it's a whole film of it. Okay. It's the whole film. <laughs> I did find it interesting, though, that both... It took me a while to place them, but um, Imelda Staunton and... Mark Williams, is that his name? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are both from Harry Potter? Yes, they are British actors. Yes, they are British actors. So of course, they <laughs> yeah. were in Harry Potter. Um, but it took me a little while to to place them. I was like, they look so familiar. Who are they? Yeah, the Harry Potter films have a lot of this as well. Yeah, like every single, except for the kids, every single casting is someone already famous. Mm. Okay, so. Well, that is why we joke. There are only like seven British actors in everything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and it's it's this sort of thing. This is the rant. This is the rant now. Prepare yourself. Right. It's this sort of thing that leads to Bill Nye getting cast in everything. <laughs> and Bill Nye is not good. He is, I don't think I've ever seen a Bill Nye film and gone, oh, I really enjoyed him in that. That was good. That was really solid. He Maybe was- Shaun of the Dead, but he does so little in that. I still haven't seen that. He was no, very, but... very good as the museum curator in Vincent and the Doctor and Doctor Who. Okay. I think we made you watch that episode, didn't we? I think you did, and I don't... Oh, yes, because he gives that speech at the end, and, and then Vincent Makes Mungo's everybody cry, crying. yeah. Yeah. Let's return to that in a bit, but... <laughs> so so it's this sort of thing, like I say, that it ends up with Bill Nye getting cast in everything. <laughs> Frankly, that's that's not right. Well, he wasn't in this, so... <laughs> no. No, he wasn't quite big yet, but we're not far off it. All right. Anyway, <laughs> it ended the rant. 
Shall I give some actual information about this movie instead of just yep. it's full of British people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Brits. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Shakespeare in Love is an American, to me, romantic period comedy <laughs> drama directed by John Madden, not the sports video game guy. Hey, that's my joke. <laughs> and <I'm> written... Just... <laughs> yes, I stole your joke. And written by Mark Norman and Tom Stoppard. Released in 1998, the film stars Gwyneth Paltrow and Joseph Fiennes, along with a supporting cast that includes Jeffrey Rush, Judi Dench, Imelda Staunton, Ben Affleck, and Colin Firth. When the film first went into production, it was with Universal Studios. Julia Roberts was slated to play Viola, but she pulled out six weeks before shooting was to begin when her choice for Shakespeare, Daniel Day-Lewis, would not accept the role. Production stopped, and then-director Edward Zwick shopped the screenplay around to multiple studios before Miramax picked it up and promptly replaced Zwick with John Madden. Can I just break in there? Yeah. That's a very different film. Julia Roberts against Daniel Day-Lewis, that's not played for laughs at all. That is a very serious Shakespeare struggling and and pulling in inspiration from the outside world. Mm -hmm. See, I was, okay, I was watching this movie. This is weird. We don't usually have conversations in the middle of this bit, but I'm not sure that this movie was actually intended to be primarily played for laughs. I think this movie took itself seriously. Okay. And and it's lovely that you think that. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll we'll come back to that in a bit. Okay, but you are right. Julia Roberts and Daniel Day Lewis would have been a completely different film. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, the film was received favorably all around. It was a New York Times critics pick with Janet Maslin writing that Gwyneth Paltrow in her first great fully realized starring performance makes a heroine so breathtaking that she seems utterly plausible as the playwright's guiding light. And Roger Ebert gave it four stars, and it has a 92% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Nominated for 13 Academy Awards, it won seven, including Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Original Screenplay. The Writers Guild of America ranked its screenplay as the 28th greatest ever written. That list was compiled in 2005. And there is also a stage adaptation of the film. And then I think probably the elephant in the room that we should talk about, I don't see how we can talk about Shakespeare in Love without talking about this, was the controversy surrounding the Oscars that year when Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture over Hmm. Saving Private Ryan. Over everything. Everything else on that list is a great film. This is also a great film. This won because of its cast. This did not win because of the film that was presented. Even if you talk about, oh, you know, it shows you the 16th century Britain and... You know, it looks so great and stuff. No, no, Saving Private Ryan did that thing better. Yeah. Showing you a situation better. This was not the best Elizabethan film this year, let alone any film. Um, yeah. No, I think that's this... fair, honestly. I do. I, I think that's fair. I think Kate Blanchett was robbed by Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow won an Oscar. Worth. Um, yeah, no, no. I do think Gwyneth Paltrow's performance in this was spectacular. It's very good. Kate Blanchett as in Elizabeth is superb. I don't think I've ever seen Kate Blanchett look so feminine as she does at the start of that. And then you see her develop and harden okay. as she goes through everything in the film. It's really good. I, I, I mean, seen e- that one either, so. Even, even best screenplay that this one, it beat the Truman Show. I mean, for all its faults, the Truman Show 
is an incredible film, and and I would say is better than this. Hmm. They're so different. I don't know that I can and... say one is better than the other. Okay. Comedies do not get nominated for the big awards, though. Sadly. True. Mm. Although I'm not sure. I don't consider the Truman Show a comedy, either. No. Mm-mm. No. But it, but it's got Jim Carrey, and Jim Carrey came with a lot of baggage at the time. Yes, that yeah. is true. Absolutely. So, I mean, at least Spielberg won Best Director. <laughs> okay. Why don't you tell us what this movie is about? Whilst writing a new play, William Shakespeare falls in love with a woman who is separately pretending to be a man so she can star in said play. Pretty true. That's fair. I mean, that's not a plot. <laughs> sure it is. <laughs> there's there's not enough there to hang a plot off. Uh, Particularly if the romance is not going to go anywhere. No, oh, that's what makes this... Oh, this is so good. I love this movie. It's so good. It's heartbreaking, but so good. Hey, you love it. Presumably you own it? I actually don't. I thought oh. I did, but luckily it is on Hulu right now. Okay. Um, over here, it's not available anywhere, but it was on the Paramount channel last month because Paramount have launched a TV movie channel. There's a Sony movie channel, a Paramount to- movie channel. Universal have just launched one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, none of these studios have quite the lineup. To support it, particularly because they're big films they've shopped elsewhere. The Paramount Channel does not show Star Trek films because the license to them has been bought by other channel, other services. Right, right. Interesting. <laughs> and luckily, we schedule these episodes far enough in advance that you have time to see if they're going to be on TV, DVR them, and hold on to them for a while. Yeah, I really should give a shout out, tvguide.co.uk, where you can filter to show all films, and then you can show all films in a list shown every day for like the week ahead so basically at the start of every week i'm like right what films are on for the rest of the week nice. and I, I line up the recording of any of them so raw is on today and that's one i've been looking forward to seeing oh god why because it's kind of vampire and vampires huh that's the cannibal one Mm-hmm. i'm really curious to hear your take on that i have no desire to see that whatsoever based on what i've seen about it okay. so it sounds entirely up my street <laughs> isn't that the one that like people left screenings vomiting yeah. Okay, yeah. So. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Okay, so Matthew, tell us your experience of, well, okay, we've kind of already gone through the cast. This is a big cast. They're famous. Even the people who weren't famous then that are famous now, you know, everybody's seen them. But did you have experience with John Madden before or the writers at all? Well, John Madden, I don't really like NFL, so I've never played the games. <laughs> I'm sorry, I stole your joke. Um, I have seen Mrs. Brown, which came out a year or two before this. In fact, I think the year before this. And I've seen Miss Sloan. So I've seen his films about wed and unwed women. Um, okay. <laughs> Miss Sloan was exceptional. I really enjoyed that. Gwyneth Paltrow. So, so I've seen Gwyneth Paltrow in this. I think I've seen Emma and Sense and Sensibility at the time. No, it wasn't Sense and Sensibility. She was in Great Expectations. And and this is part of the thing. There was a whole thing in the mid-90s of uh, Emma, Pride and Prejudice, Great Expectations, Sense mm-hmm. and Sensibility. You, you know, the, the sort of classic things being adapted for TV and screen. Mm-hmm. Um, my family are very, very into them. So I saw them, but I was not. It's one of those things, you know, my sister was very into them, so I was less likely to enjoy them. Of course. Because siblings. Um, so I'm very aware I've seen them, but I don't really remember much. 
I've seen her as Pepper Potts, because she's been in one or two films as that role. And I've seen her in Shallow Hell. And I don't think I've seen anything else she's done. Yeah. Shallow Hell being your early experience of her, no wonder you hate her. And, and I can't even remember that film. I suspect it was two hours of fat jokes. Yes. Yeah. It kind of was. Yeah. And she's in Seven, but there's only one thing you remember about going to the Foundry in Seven, so. What's in the box? Yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah. You, you remember we talked last week about Anna Kendrick forgetting she was in Twilight? Yes. Did we actually talk about that? Yes. Okay. Uh, so Anna Kendrick forgot she was in Twilight. Did you see the thing recently about uh, Gwyneth Paltrow not knowing she was in Spider-Man? Yes. <laughs> Watched it. It was delightful. Yeah. That's very good. She, she clearly just rocks up and films these things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, moves on. It's like, I thought that was no. Avengers. No, you were in Spider-Man. Yeah, right. No, I'm looking at her list. And do you know what? I did see you in Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, but that's also a film that's utterly forgettable. Except for the effects on it. That was the big thing of that. But yeah, another one who doesn't really pick films that go too far, except for landing the part of Pepper Potts. Well on her. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven films she got out of that. <laughs> so far. Yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow was, like, kind of like America's Darling in the 90s. Mm. I'm not entirely sure why when you look at her filmography, but she was. Um, and I think some of that has to do because she dated Brad Pitt for a long, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did movies like Shakespeare in Love, and, and she went on to do some other things that I can't remember right this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, now, sadly, she's most well-known for her kooky ideas and goop. Goop. <laughs> but you know in the 90s this yeah. was perfect and you know i thought she was british until we looked into it for this film i absolutely thought she was a british actress oh wow and, uh, and part of that comes from the fact she was in emma she was in this she was in great expectations you know she did right. a lot of films where she had to put on a british accent and to be fair she does an exceptional british accent in this film there we go. Matthew had one good thing to say about this movie. I have one good thing to say about Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, okay. She has a very good British accent. <laughs> uh, Joseph Fiennes, I have seen him in this. I've seen him in Elizabeth, which came out the same year, where he was very good. And I watched most of, but not quite all of, Flash Forward. I am not familiar with that movie. It's a series. Uh, it ran for one season. Basically, the entire world gets knocked out. Uh, for like two and a half minutes. Everyone, every single person on a plane, in a car, at school, at a football game, whatever, gets knocked out and sees a vi- like themselves in six months' time. And everyone has the same thing of what happens in six months, they get to see it. That and he was vaguely familiar. He was the lead FBI agent investigating it hmm. and finding out what happened. And it's got a really nice twist. The end of the first episode, they're sort of still looking into it, trying to understand what happened and figure it out. And they find camera footage of a person walking around in one place. Just like, okay, that's really creepy. (laughs) Every single person in the world had this vision and got knocked out except this one person. Right. That's a good setup. It's a book um, by one of my favorite authors. It's an exceptionally good read because it's actually everyone sees an image of like 20 years in the future. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, the main guy is actually the lead scientist at CERN, because it turns out it was CERN that caused it. Oh, okay. By, uh, <laughs> activating the Large Hadron Collider. Oh, of course. Interesting. Mm, that's worth looking. Uh, the author is a chap called Robert J. Sawyer, who is a wonderful science fiction author. Okay. I'll keep Good. that in mind. 
Um, have you watched The Handmaid's Tale at all? Uh, bits of. Okay, because he plays the commander in that, and it's very hard to go from watching two seasons of The Handmaid's Tale to rewatching this movie. Mm. Um, but he's such a good actor that he plays the character so very, very differently. Like, they're unrecognizably the same man playing them, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. there's no affectation where you would be like, oh, I can see how that same person is doing this. Um, right. So that made it easier. Yeah. The, the Fines, as, as a family, they are very good actors. Mm-hmm. Mm. Just lovies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matthew, you have not held this one close to your chest, but did you enjoy Shakespeare in Love? Not really. This might be the most 5 out of 10 of all 5 out of 10 films. Oh. Like, Twilight was a 5 out of 10, because Twilight did some really good stuff, and it did some really bad stuff, and it just ends up in the middle. This just aims at the middle and gets there, and never moves. Oh. Like, okay. it, it, it is everyone coming on screen, doing their thing for a scene, and then moving on to the next scene, and it's held together with this flimsy plot of... He's trying to write a play and he hears lines and he puts them in the play. A romance that they say at the beginning, they they set up. This romance is not going to go anywhere. And it feels entirely on rails until the end where it doesn't go anywhere. I, I wasn't surprised by any of it. I wasn't swept in by any of it. And I think that might be the big problem. I think if you were watching this and coming to it with more, probably more of an open mind, to be fair. Because I had avoided this film actively, not watched it for many years. So I wasn't expecting anything from it. Okay. (laughs) I would like to counter your opinion of this movie with a quote from Roger Ebert's review. Okay. Just because his review is pretty spot on for how I feel about this movie. Mm. And it's easier for me to use somebody else's words because they're (laughs) so much better written than anything I could do. So Um, Roger Ebert said... The contemporary feel of the humor, like Shakespeare's coffee mug inscribed souvenir of Stratford-upon-Avon, makes the movie play like a contest between Masterpiece Theater and Mel Brooks. Then the movie stirs in a sweet love story, juicy court intrigue, backstage politics, and some lovely moments from Romeo and Juliet. Is this a movie or an anthology? I didn't care. I was carried along by the wit, the energy, and a surprising sweetness. And that's pretty spot on for me. I was watching this movie last night, and... God, there were so many moments I found myself just sitting there with this giant smile on my face because it just made me happy to watch it. So, I mean, his point about the, the uh, you know, rivalry between a Mel Brooks film and Masterpiece Theatre, yeah, because it, if it absolutely leaned in and, and wanted to make fun and be silly, it, it would be fine. There's a film called Bill that our friend uh, at Katie Sheru recommended to me last year which is much more aimed at kids, but it's this kind of William Shakespeare getting into scrapes and also whilst also getting inspiration for his films. But it's done in a... There, there is a character in that, the Earl of Crawley, the Duke of Crawley. And there's the, part of that is, is a good joke because I grew up near Crawley. Crawley is at best 70 years old. It is a very new town. Okay. So to have this, you know, 16th century, I'm the Earl of Crawley. <laughs> like, that's that's quite a good joke. I quite enjoyed that. This doesn't go that far with, you know, modern anachronisms and silliness. But at the same time, because it's got them, it doesn't lean into... You were saying this is not a comedy. It's not quite taking itself seriously enough. And it's doing jokes about men dressed up as women and 
kids on the street, like in the blood and so on, which we're going to come back to that kid. It, it doesn't quite get into the serious thing. So the film has to grab you with what it's presenting. And I didn't see the juicy court intrigue. What was the court intrigue? That Colin Firth is a bit of a villain. So I think so, yeah. Him, but she has to. <laughs> but there's not even a thing of, will she, won't she? It just happens. Her father signs the thing, gives them some money, and then they're married. Like, Okay, but let me just tell you, as a 16-year-old watching this movie for the first time, I was mm. utterly shocked that she actually went through with marrying him. I did not expect that to happen. What did you think was going to happen? I The first time I saw this, remember, 16-year-old Mandy, <laughs> I really thought her and Aww. Shakespeare were going to end up together. Like, this was supposed to be that kind of movie because this was the romance that they shared was the stuff that dreams are made out of, honestly. It's it's the kind of romance that every little girl dreams about having. It was wonderful. And the expectation when you're watching that, especially at 16, is that, of course, they're going to live happily ever after. There's no way they're not going to. And so for that not to happen... I mean, because this movie was full of historical inaccuracies anyway, so I never expected it to... I never would have thought, well, of course, Romeo and Juliet didn't end up together, so of course Shakespeare and Viola aren't going to. That's that's kind of like not where my brain was at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes perfect sense for the movie, but 16-year-old me just thought they were going to get there happily ever after. And so even up until the point where the queen said she couldn't fix it, like I fully expected them to end up together even though she was already married like i really thought queen elizabeth was gonna step in and fix it and then she didn't and it broke my heart oh and and even that you know there are films and i'm struggling to particularly think of any of course that do actually history is different than we recognize it or we remember it but still deliver what you expect to this never went to that place you're saying it's got historical inaccuracies i don't think it's got inaccuracies with the history by and large it's trying to it's got you know here are all the the sort of things that we know about what happened at that time and where plays were staged and so on Mm -hmm. and i think it's trying to fiddle them in i don't know enough of the history and the detail to say but it wasn't trying to come up with new things and say ah the history is actually different than we know right i I mean it wasn't trying to not be historically inaccurate but they weren't afraid to take liberties yeah such as a souvenir mug from stratford-upon-avon Or, you know, going to Virginia that didn't exist yet. Yeah, yeah, right? Right? (laughs) (laughs) I have a quote for you. Okay. Rom-coms need, the thing a rom-com needs is a happily ever after. Yes. Mandy K. Ottaway, 2019. If that is true, I want to compare that to, because that's you talking about Mm -hmm. rom-coms, compare that to how you feel about something like Romeo and Juliet, a, a romance story. That doesn't have the happy, happily ever after does when it's pure romance that often has this sort of ending because Romeo and Juliet was so successful. Everyone tries to emulate Romeo and Juliet. Does it portray a love, a love story better or more strongly for you because of that sort of inherent doom? It cannot be, but they want it to be. I, I don't know that I would word it quite the same way that you have there. Hmm. The wager. That they do, that the queen... The 50 pounds. Yes. Hmm. What was the actual wager? It was to see if a play can accurately portray uh, yeah, love? Por- yeah, portray love as well in the real world, that kind of thing. So I think a movie 
Oh, there we go. As to whether a play can show the very truth and nature of love. Mm. And and so I think that a rom-com doesn't do that. And uh, what you're classifying as a pure romance here that doesn't necessarily have it happily ever after does do that. Probably not in every instance, but mm-hmm. it's much more, it feels much more realistic. It doesn't, you don't win at the end of it just for the sake of winning. And yeah. so you do, you get heartache, you get consequence, you know, you get responsibility things like Mm. that. And you don't get those things in a rom-com. And so I think stories like Romeo and Juliet or like Shakespeare in Love can resonate much more strongly because what is it that Shakespeare said? It's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Okay. You know, it's that kind of thing. And does it appeal to you more? Not more. Um, Generally, I'm going to prefer the rom-com because I like okay. the happily ever after. I like the escape. I like to live in a romance and believe, however temporarily, that that sort of life is possible. But that doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy a pure romance, a doomed romance, star-crossed lovers any less. Mm. Okay. Because sometimes just the very nature and passion of the star-crossed lover story is enough to get you wrapped up and invested and you know there's there's a beauty there there's an emotion there that you also need to feel sometimes right nice and and, and i was i was looking forward to uh, some of that discussion because you like a rom-com so much but you know romeo and julia is the pinnacle of romantic tales hmm Mm-hmm. I much prefer this movie's take on the Romeo and Juliet story okay. than actually Romeo and Juliet, because this one at least didn't end up with anybody dead. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure I've said this before, but High School Musical does Romeo and Juliet way better than Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll agree with you on that. Um, so, you know, the idea of people being so in love with each other that they can't bear to live without each other... It's a beautiful idea, but when you think about it in reality, it's horrifying. Yeah. You know, and that, that that's not the kind of example that you want to put forward for teenagers. And unfortunately, that's exactly mm. the kind of thing that teenagers mm. are taught you should look for. Um, and so I really appreciate how Shakespeare in Love gave us that same romance, that same deeply passionate, like mm. all in romance but still had them do the adult thing and still had them be responsible, take the consequences of their actions and move on, carrying that love with them in the future. Yeah. You know, and I think for me, that's one of the things that makes this movie so successful. Mm-hmm. It Honestly, it is. It's okay. the romance is why I love this movie because okay. Shakespeare and, and Viola are just absolutely perfect to me. I love them. That that I can give you, because if you were into that and, and you are swept away by the way it's done in this film, yeah, I can see this being one that appeals. Yeah, they had, I mean, their chemistry together, just as actors, was phenomenal. And, I mean, it was utterly ridiculous, because I, I caught myself thinking this this time, watching it now as, you know, a 30-something woman. The the first time they sleep together, it was the first time. What was it, how did the queen say it? She's been plucked since the last time I saw her. Like and not by you, yeah. <laughs> you know that scene though was utterly unrealistic because it was like mind blowing. The best sex either of them had ever had <laughs> yeah. in the entire world, and I'm sorry, nobody's first time is like that. 
Yeah, um, and her like, oh, there is something better than the theater. <laughs> yeah, even your plays. <laughs> but for a 16-year-old who's watching this for the first time, that's what you think. You know, and that that's what you want. You want the beauty and the fantasy of romance. And that's what this movie gives you. So you get both the epic, passionate, fantasy, rom-com type of romance that follows through with that consequence at the end. And I think combining the two is just makes me happy. Okay. Nice. Like, I really like this movie. I, like, I'm sure you can't tell by the excitement in my voice when I'm talking about it. <laughs> On the flip side, there is all the Shakespeare stuff. And I think that is what pulls me out of it and stops enjoying it quite so much. Okay. I'm not the only one who loves this movie. We did have some comments from um, my Southern Fried Pop Culture co-host, Kelly. Um, She said, I love this movie. The first time I watched it, I hated it. But now it's one of my favorites. And she quotes, there's something better than a play, even your play. There's so much humor in this movie, and my love for Shakespeare adds to the delight of it all. Um, I followed up and asked her what she hated about it at first. And she said, at first, I thought it was silly. I didn't watch or listen closely. Wrong reader, wrong time. When I watched it again and paid attention, I fell in love with the whole thing. And I think I can understand that. I just, when I watched it as a 16-year-old, it was absolutely right reader, right time for me. Right. Nice. I I think it is that, I'm going to take it that she's alluding to the use of Shakespeare lines throughout Mm -hmm. to show him using lines from the real world to populate his work. Right. I I think it just, it goes too far. I mean, it goes so so far as to say Christopher Marlowe gave him some of these ideas, which, uh, to be honest with you, I'm not even sure if that's true, and that is entirely possible. But then it is just almost every scene has a moment that is using a line that is sort of Oh, and of course, oh, he borrowed that and he did that with that thing and so on. I mean, Playing I mean, that's, on both your houses. Yeah, that's that's like the, it's the core joke of Legends of Tomorrow. is going and meeting, you know, J.R. Tolkien or Obama or someone and giving them ideas for the famous things they would do in the future. Right. Now, obviously that came much later, but I, I almost wonder if this is part of my problem with it, is I've seen it done so often through this sort of time travel type story. Such as Doctor Who, because it's also a core tenet of Doc- like at least once a series, mm-hmm. both old series and new series. There is he meets a famous person and helps them do their famous thing, or including Shakespeare. I am sure there are Doctor Who stories where you meet Shakespeare. There is one called the Shakespeare Code, as a matter of fact. In there we go. Three. So I just I feel like it's doing a joke that would be fine if it was scattered throughout. But even to to give you an example, I said we'd return to that kid, John Webster. Mm-hmm. And he says, you boy, what's your name? Well, John, John Webster, my lad. Uh, you know, what do you about enjoy my own place? Oh, I like all the blood. And when she gets her head cut off, oh, Titus Andronicus, which Titus Andronicus is dark and bloody. So, oh, and you're John Webster. Hey, he's the macabre writer who writes dark and bloody things in some of his plays. Wink, wink. It would be fine once, but they do the same joke with the boy and Elizabeth later. And it's, it's basically... The way it comes across is almost like they don't trust that we've got the joke, that we have understood the references Mm -hmm. and gone, oh, they're using Shakespeare lines throughout. Of course. Like, these are very famous lines. It it just, it goes too far. And I think that perhaps pulls me out and stops me then 
getting into the characters and the situations. Okay. I guess I can see that. I It added to the delight for me. Right. I really enjoyed it. I, I'm not sure I can explain why. And that's why, I, like I say, I, I can see this coming across as a, oh, the idea is good. It's done well. Um, Kim at Mets Girl on Twitter said that she mostly remembers the romance and silly use of Shakespeare lines. It was very, yes, go and be an actor, girl. <laughs> and that's... Yeah, if this is one of the first times you've seen it done, it could come across really nicely, but I think it's because it's a it's a little tropey now. In fact, I did mean to look it up on TV Tropes and see if this was a thing and see if I could get other examples of it. Well, we've talked about the very many things that made this movie not really one of your favorites, the, the things that you wish it had done better. Was there anything in it that you liked other than Gwyneth Paltrow's British accent? Can, <laughs> can you pull accent. Well, anything out of it? Yeah. <laughs> The fact it's a Weinstein film and, hey, look, there's some news in it. Ugh. Um, there is a line, there's a bit at the House of Ill Repute where one of the women in the tavern says, so what's this play about? And, and Jim Carter says, well, there's this nurse. <laughs> <laughs> and just that thing of making the, this great play, but about the nurse side character. Mm-hmm. It's very endearing, and it's exactly the sort of thing, you know, people do. They they emphasize their role in things, mm-hmm. and it came across very nicely. It was it was a really nice touch. <laughs> that was a good line. That's a Tom Stoppard line. I mean, this this was written by Tom Stoppard, who is he writes wonderfully intelligent plays and scripts for things. He is he is very smart, and he makes his characters very smart. I'm not sure I'd say he's necessarily entertaining. It's about the interesting things he puts on screen. Okay. And, and I I think whoever he's worked with has gone very hard into the entertaining side rather than the clever side of it for me. Okay. So I'll tell you what I enjoyed. As soon as it came on screen, I enjoyed it. And it felt like someone was here and acting and wanting to be in this film. Ben Affleck. Baby Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck turning up, throwing the doors open and demanding a part in this and wanting, and he, he acts, he probably puts on a role here and he looks exuberant and interested in it in the same way I don't get from most of the rest of them. I think, I think Paltrow and Fines have to be a bit restrained because they're the lead characters. So they have a lot of work to do all the way through. I think Colin Firth is pretty one note. I think frankly, Dame Judi Dench is pretty one note, but she's playing Dame Judi Dench. As the Queen, um, as are most of the British actors. And again, that's a little bit of a problem for me to go, oh, Martin Clunes is here and he's doing his Martin Clunes thing. Oh, Mark Williams is here and he's doing the Mark Williams thing. Fine. Okay. Because is there too, is there much difference between that character and Mr. Weasley? <sighs> Except Not for the really. stutter. Yeah. 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 You know, and Imelda, so I, I've mentioned this about all of them before, but Ben Affleck comes in and he wants to be in this film. He is acting against a, a very far member of royalty. And he wants to show what he can do. And I feel like he is showing what he can do. And I really liked him. I'm glad to hear you say you really liked something about this movie. Mm. <laughs> Someone was actually acting. Although it is it is his parts that also let down. I mean, at times in this film, they're not even trying to hide that they're making a film. The bit on where he's on stage and he is dying. And he is basically whispering to Shakespeare. And Shakespeare is basically whispering his lines back to him with his back to the audience. Yeah. If you're in the audience, you're like, 
Come on, fella, turn around. Yeah. Say it out loud. They're not even trying to pretend that they're actually putting on a show. And, and all the way through, there's a lot of that kind of thing. The wig that she wears to cover her long flowing locks. I don't buy for a second, but oh, look, it's perfect. And she can throw it on and off with impunity, except that one time. <laughs> so the magic was lost on you. Yeah. Okay. Except for when Ben Affleck was on screen. And then it was magical. <laughs> He's my Batman. <laughs> uh, okay. What about you? Have have I taken it all by us talking about the romance? The fact that romance is what you love about it? No, because the romance isn't the only thing I love about it, but it is the thing. Okay, right. Um, this this movie is nothing without that love story, and and that's what I mean. It's called Shakespeare in Love. You know, um, I think the first thing that I wrote down when I was watching this movie was the scene where she kicks him out of her bed to make him go write more. She's like. No, you cannot stay here right now. I need you to go write more of this play because the play is way more important to me than sex with you right now. <laughs> and I thought that was wonderful. Yeah. Amelda Staunton as the nurse is fantastic. Her sitting in the chair outside, like trying to hide the fact that, <laughs> that Viola is in there having sex, rocking really hardly in the chair to make the chair make noise. That That is very fair. That was quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> um. If I can interrupt, that is in some ways why it's a five. That's Imelda Staunton doing what Imelda Staunton does. But it's very funny. Like, you know, she's made a very good career. Dame Judi Dench has made a very good career out of it. It doesn't take me places. It's not wonderful. But at the same time, I can't say it's actively bad. This is a solid five out of ten. Can you imagine, though, why for an American audience who is not familiar with what these actors have done in other places why this would be utterly delightful and brand new yeah because i think that's that's where this fell for me is i didn't know who any of these actors were when i saw it and so i i didn't have the background of saying oh simon callow is doing what simon callow does Mm. i'm just like this is wonderful like it's a mystery it's just great (laughs) the score the the music of Mm. this was beautiful the look of it the costumes the sets the the colors it was a beautiful movie yeah i'm not sure i believe you that you agree with me on that <sighs> it's a very well staged elizabethan looking thing like i say it's it's at the time this was the done thing they they do make a fake london very well there's a few times i was like okay actually yeah that's a very good set the the street sets but everyone was doing it and and everyone is still doing it. To be, to be fair, I'm saying this as though we don't make you know classic costume dramas in Britain anymore. <laughs> um. Okay, my very very favorite thing, though, um, I don't know if you remember this. It's the scene when they've actually started performing Romeo and Juliet. Um, Will has had to go on as Romeo. He's freaking out because the the boy who's going to play Juliet, his voice has dropped and like it's going <laughs> to be a disaster. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Viola rushes out and she starts performing as Juliet. And the look on Joseph Fine's face as he watches her, mm-hmm. it is one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen in my life. Aww. Like, I don't know, like... I don't know how you do that while you're acting. Like, he is looking at her with such love and joy and excitement. And it is just so expressive mm. as he's just watching her on stage. And it it just it made me happy. Like, it was the kind of look that every girl dreams of someone looking at her that way. Right. 
Nice. Yeah. Basically everything in this movie. I think my favorite Judy Dench line, though, was at the end um, when she's fussing at Simon Callow's character. I can't remember his name when he's constantly saying, I am here in the name of the queen. And she says, have a care with my name or you will wear it out. Mm-hmm. Like, that's such a snarky line. I love it. <laughs> like, everything she said in this movie was snarky, and I appreciated that. Yeah. So I think this was my first Judy Dench. Okay. If that's helpful. Yeah. I, I think it is the thing that she hadn't won for Mrs. Brown, mm-hmm. where she probably should have done. So there was a sense of, okay, we'll give it to her this time. Yeah, I read that. Yeah. Mm. Which is not a reason to give someone an, uh, an Oscar. No, no, I'm not sure she deserved the Oscar. I mean, she did this very, very well, but the the character wasn't on screen long enough to qualify, I think. Um, but that doesn't mean that her eight minutes wasn't spectacular. Mm. Because I think they were. Right. Yeah, you should go and watch the Kate Blanchett, the first Elizabeth film. I've not seen the second. I've not heard good things. Mm. But it was a really good film. Kate I did Blanchett. There was a second one. Uh, Elizabeth. <laughs> I was about to make the joke because there's a joke, obviously, Elizabeth II. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's Elizabeth the Golden Age. Oh, Something okay. like that. Mm. All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to talk about? With Shakespeare in Love, clearly you did not enjoy it. Clearly I did. I think this is one where we're coming out of it still on opposite sides of that spectrum. Yeah, yeah and you're not, you know, I'm, I'm, I've seen it. That's the <laughs> thing I can say. I've seen it. Uh, and it has it pushed me further into seeing all of the Best Picture winners. Because at okay. some point I want to have seen all the best. I'm now at 52%. Nice. So I'm getting there. Although it does mean at some point I'm going to have to have a very serious conversation of whether I can watch a Woody Allen film or not. Mm. Mm. Does the list win over the fact it's Woody Allen? Mm. Discuss. Um, That's a conversation for another day. Absolutely. Thank you very much for everyone who gave us comments for this show um, and helping support me through watching it on Twitter. If you do want to join in on the conversation, um, find us both on Twitter, as we said before. You can use the hashtag PCDeprived. And you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram at eloquentgushing. And you can email us using podcast at eloquentgushing.com or leave us a voice message on speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. And we also want to say thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon because we are 100% funded by listeners who who do support us on Patreon. For um, any amount you can give, even just a dollar a month, you can get access to exclusive content, um, help us make this show better, and help us develop new shows. So if you would like to find out more, um, please go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about 9 to 5. So until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And a plague on both your houses. I don't want a plague on my house. (laughs) Both of them.